welcome to In Check with Fintech. Albert Saniger is the founder and CEO of Nate, the first app with technology to enable mobile checkout on behalf of a user for any item at any online retailer. Receiving his MBA at the London Business School, Albert worked briefly on Amazon's fashion retail platform. In 2018, he founded Nate with a mission to simplify and transform the online shopping experience into a social one. By April 2020, Nate had closed the largest series seed round for a consumer software company of the year and launched to the public that summer. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, so a little bit about me, uh, I'm Spanish. Uh, I grew up between Spain and France. I moved to California for college. I actually moved to California for love. Uh, college was like sort of the afterthought. Uh, I've actually been moving for love quite a lot. Um, I moved to Paris for love. I moved to New York for love. I'm now married. I have I've been married for 10 years. I have a beautiful daughter. Um, but uh, that tells you a little bit about me. I'm very sort of like people first person. Um, and I've been a founder most of my life, except for uh, a brief period at Amazon after business school. And now I run Nate. Great. All right. Okay. Yeah. Because I think you, at least from what I uh, could see from your background, you started with your own fashion brand. Then you went to Amazon, taking responsibility for their fashion platform, or at least their uh, individual brands, from what I could tell. Um, Correct. And then you founded Nate. How do you go from having your own fashion brand to finding a tech company? Yeah, that's, uh, I get this question all the time. Um, let me start with a very sort of philosophical uh, way to approach this. I don't believe there's such a thing as the tech industry, sort of quote unquote. Um, sure, there are some companies that sell software or hardware as their core products and services. However, rather than it being a binary, I see it more as a continuum. So I started, yes, I started selling t-shirts in person, no technology, okay? That was my business. Uh, that turned into a wholesale business and I started to use technology to automate or simplify some of my processes. Then I realized I could use technology to skip the intermediaries, no more wholesale, and go straight from manufacturer to consumer. So I launched a direct consumer brand and use technology again to optimize that business. And you know, making and selling clothes, whether you do that, you know, or how Amazon calls them soft lines can be done at a small scale, like I did before Amazon or at a big scale, like I did on Amazon. It's not that different other than the larger the scale, the more data driven you can be. Um, so after business school, when I worked at Amazon, um, basically doing what I had previously done just at a bigger scale, I just had more data and therefore more technology to leverage that data. And in a way that experience sort of helped me remember how much I enjoyed technology being at the core of a product rather than as a supplement. And I started coding, I mean, I started coding at nine years old uh, in a language called Pascal. And so fast forward 20 years, I had I realized that I sort of had gone full, full circle and I was working in big tech without realizing, right? Because I was selling clothes. Um, and, and so I spoke with my husband and I told him, I know a thing of two or two about software. I know a thing or two about online payments. And I know a thing or, or two about how consumers make purchasing decisions. Am I ready to challenge big players like Amazon? And he said to me something like, uh, most sane people would tell you, you are not, uh, 
and but he said, but I did not marry you for being sane. Uh, and <laughs> I'm not sure if that was a compliment or not, uh, but he, the, the summary of it, he basically said, if you don't burn the boats, you don't conquer the island. So I quit and I started. At Fourthline, we use tech for good. We build products that have a major and long-lasting impact on the online financial ecosystem. We leverage a highly automated KYC product with a core of machine learning technologies, making us the most reliable fraud detection platform for KYC. As a product lead, you will take responsibility for an entire product suite in one of our critical verticals. Interested? Reach out to Tom Franken. Email in the description below. All right. Okay. What are the lessons learned then maybe from starting your own fashion brand like MBM to how do you apply those lessons now to a tech company like Nate? The further along I get in my career, the more I realize that I sort of don't know anything. So the more I answer, the more questions I answer, the more, the more questions I have. And so it goes. And so the realization is that I'm actually not great at any of the sort of specific functions of any organization. I'm just good enough at enough things uh, to give some sense of direction. And, and therefore it comes down to people, right? It's all about people. So some lessons, you know, my first business, when I was able to hire my first intern and my second and my first full-time employee and my second and my fifth and my 10th, I, I underestimated the power of giving people lane and I was this like very typical sort of micromanager. I thought I had to decide for them. I thought it was my responsibility to give them a lot of guidance. And, and then I realized I don't have to do that. In fact, people quite, you know, humans have general intelligence. They're good at what they do and they're better than I am at what they do. And so that those, those are some lessons that I carry forward to this day. I mean, I, we have a team of, about a hundred people now. Mm -hmm. um, and my team will tell you that my leadership style is sort of like the complete opposite. It's very much like, you know, you do you, like whatever you need to do, just do it. You know, if you need me, I'm here. Otherwise go. I love that. It sounds like you're very humble because you're basically saying, I don't know anything. Uh, <laughs> I just know enough of bits and pieces here and there. People yes. first is really important. And give people freedom by the sounds of it, and then they'll excel. Yes, for sure. Great. So how, maybe then going into Nate a bit more for the listeners who don't know Nate, what do you guys mm -hmm. do? You're a hundred people now, you have an office in New York, now it's in London. Uh, mm -hmm. What is the technology or what's the problem you're trying to solve with Nate? So Nate is the world's only universal shopping app. And what that means is that you can download it. You can give Nate your name, your email, your shipping and payment information once, and you don't have to check out ever again on any online store in the US. Nate allows you to consolidate your entire shopping into a single place mm -hmm. and control your privacy and therefore your shopping identity. It's the most convenient way of buying things, sharing them with friends and retaining control of where your, where your data goes. Interesting, how do you buy? Is it a pay later solution? How do you buy? So you buy by sharing a product page with Nate. You know how when you're a rabbit, let's say like you land on, you're on Safari on your phone and you are looking at a product page, let's say like 
the Apple AirPods that I'm wearing right now or the Albert's shoes that I'm wearing. Um, and you want to buy them. Instead of going through your typical checkout process, you tap share at the bottom of your browser as if you were going to share it with a friend via iMessage. And instead, you share it to the Nate app. You share it with Nate. And you're effectively asking Nate to buy it for you. Tap share, tap Nate, tap buy. Tap share, tap Nate, tap buy. So it feels like you're tweeting something or you're sending a message, but you're effectively buying it. And that sends a request to our servers saying, Albert wants to buy these shoes. Please buy them. Nate goes to that website, understands the HTML code, and decides where to click and what to fill out in order to complete the purchase on your behalf. And then you can consolidate all your purchases. You can see your purchase history in the app. You can buy things again. Say you buy a shampoo and then you run out. You can go to the app, open it. You bought it last week or last month. Tap, buy it again, never having to go to that website again. You can also save items if you don't want to buy them right away. Pull them into lists and share those lists with friends who can follow them and buy things directly from those lists. And you can gift people as well, I think, right? You Maybe. can gift people too, yes. You can send gifts to friends without having their address. And you mentioned pay later. You can also pay later uh, if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. Um, but, you know, we acknowledge that some retailers don't offer pay later, others do. And in all cases, those that do are effectively telling you, yeah, but you have to give your data away to this third party company that is also giving us the data from all these other, you know, millions of users. Mm -hmm. And and so we said, you know what, let's make it the Nate way, which is, you know, consistent, seamless, universal and private. So how does that work with Payments in general, then, in the background, do you have your own payments platform or do you work with third party payment providers that process the payments for you? Or how does that work? It's a, it's a mix. Uh, we have a rather complex payment stack, but I'll tell you that the short of it is um, for every Nate purchase, there are two payments. One is the payment that we make to the retailer with your name, your email, your shipping address, and a single use virtual card that we issue under your name, mm -hmm. but that we pay for. And then separately, we become merchant of record, and then we collect your payment, whether it's credit card, debit card, or ACH. In fact, the majority of our users choose ACH. They sync their bank account to Nate when they download, uh, but you don't have to. And, and so for every purchase, it's actually two payments. That's amazing. What, what, why do consumers choose Nate then? Uh, in terms of, I see that basically with one app, you have access to buying anywhere. You leave your details with one company. Is that, reason, is that the reason for people to say, okay, I, I, I buy with Nate? I think there's a difference between the reasons people choose to download it and give it a try mm -hmm. and the reasons people stick around. So uh, and that's one of the things that I learned early on. Um, it's very similar to if you experience sort of the before and after Uber days, you know, if someone just rationally explained to you, oh, Uber is this thing where you open an app, you request a car, you wait for the car. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, I can just get a cab or take a subway or, or walk or drive. Like, I don't understand. There's plenty of ways to go from point A to point B in a city. Right. Um, and then you give it a go. And if you try it a couple of times, you then realize that. It is the only universal way to go from point A to point B in a city that doesn't require you to switch from system one thinking to system two thinking. You don't have to over-rationalize and think every time 
what am I doing this time? Am I walking? Am I driving? Am I taking a cab? Am I taking a subway? You don't have to think about it. If you want to, you can still think about it. But if you don't want to think about it, you press the button. And that peace of mind is unmeasurable. So once you try it a few times, you don't want to go back to a world where need does not exist. And the convenience is not at the expense of privacy, which is, you know, what's happening with most products out there. So it's sort of like a double down, you know, yeah. you're like, wait, this is so easy. And I'm adding an additional layer of privacy to my life. Um, so that's why people stay, why people try it for a variety of reasons. But I mentioned lists, for example, right? Uh, so if you could create a list and share it with me and you could call it, you know, workout essentials. The only way for me to follow that list on Nate is to also be on Nate. So then I'll be like, you know what? I have a few friends who have shared lists with me that are on Nate. Let me just download Nate and follow their lists. Um, does that mean I'm going to buy something from those lists? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but over time, if I give it a go, I'm going to go, you know what? Let me try this. Oh, that was so easy. Let me try it again. And then they're hooked. Sounds almost like a social platform. It is a payments business that yeah. spreads like a social business, all powered by intelligent automation. Great. Who are your typical, who's your typical target audience? Are these like the millennials, Gen Z, or who are you after? Who use Nate the most and who in general are you after? So we purposely built Nate for everyone, right? In other words, nothing is inherently uh, built in a way that will prevent certain types of people from using it. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what your shopping profile is, you can need it. Um, but so far, our story resonates most with Gen Zers, uh, especially in large metropolitan areas. If you think about it, it sort of makes sense. So th this is a generation that values three things more than any other generation. Number one, they value their time. Convenience is a must. I mean, think about it. They grew up in a world where they could face them, their parents, uh, on the other side of the world anytime. And when that button didn't work, they started crying. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, they value their data. They grew up watching The Social Dilemma on Netflix and are hyper aware and involved in this topic. Um, and when given the choice, they'll always, always choose privacy. And number three, they value their social lives and want to share what they're buying with their friends. And they want to know what their friends are buying. And they don't want a trade-off between the convenience, the privacy, and their social life. And Nate allows them to do all those three things without trade-offs. Seamless, social, and private. Very interesting. Is it only then, because I think the Gen Zers as well are not only interested in products, but def definitely also in experiences. Well, obviously you offer a shopping experience, but is it also, can you use Nate to buy, I don't know, a, a trip to the Bahamas, for example? Is that also, mm -hmm. can you Nate that or not? Um, the answer is it depends, okay. meaning if, um, if the um, process of buying that trip requires information that Nate does not have about you, such as your passport number, mm -hmm. then it will fail. So Nate will tell you, oops, sorry, I couldn't buy that. And then your payment method will not be charged. Um, you know, some people try to buy TikTok followers. Uh, one, sure, that's that's sketchy. Uh, but two, uh, Nate does not have your TikTok handle. 
So it's just going to, you know, it's going to get to that feel and it's going to go, oh, I'm stuck. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I don't know what to do. Fail, right? Um, but to the extent that, you know, you can add to cart, go to checkout, fill out your name, email, shipping, credit card, and click buy, Nate's got it. Makes sense. All right. Okay. So there's a lot of places where you can Nate it, basically. Yeah. It's um, basically any, any e-commerce uh, sort of typical purchase and you can think of like you know fashion beauty wellness electronics books uh every category exit groceries people don't really buy a tomato on nate no all right fair, fair enough <laughs> where do you see the biggest opportunity though for nate in general I, I guess in the in the shopping landscape in the in the payments landscape in in general where's the biggest opportunity for a company such as yours um i mean i think we're just like seeing the tip of the iceberg of the online payments revolution. Um, and there's a lot more that is going to happen that is going to make things faster, cheaper, instantaneous. Um, and, and then a lot of products that, that we can build on top of it that are payments products for consumers. But I'm not disregarding our social aspect either. Um, we, uh, last year, we launched our creator program um, for people who's, who really enjoy creating lists on Nate and sharing those lists with friends as they're sort of like, you know, part of their, as part of their lives. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there too. Mm -hmm. And what's most important is not disregarding either side of it because the combination is a very powerful wheel. Ready to make an impact? We're looking for a head of product development for an innovative health tech seeking ways to create smooth access to healthcare by layering fintech solutions on top of insurance integrations. A small but powerful team of 25 based in Vienna and Berlin, you'll join one of Austria's strongest growing, biggest seed rounds, leading independent provider in the health tech space. Get in touch with Jacqueline Mulhausen at Jacqueline. J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E at teampcm.com. Email in the description below. What does the future of shopping look like, you think? Or what does the future of shopping look like, according to Nate? Um, sort of the same, actually. I built Nate thinking about what I think the future of shopping will look like anyway. Uh, but that's, I mean, um, it's a very broad question, but I'll, I'll mention one thing that I'm very sort of passionate about and that mm -hmm. I'm very confident that will happen. Um, I think the future of shopping is the world where consumers are not forced uh, to go into any particular store, whether physical or digital, to buy that particular good or product. People will spend time with friends or streaming movies and playing games, browsing social content, speaking with voice assistants, uh, chilling in self-driving cars, and so on. And all of those places are not e-commerce stores, and nor they should be. But you will be able to buy anything at the tap of a button without having to leave those places and actually go to the store or website that sells it. I think instead, machines will be the ones placing orders on websites so you can say where you are. Um, and at Nate, we call that stay in flow. Um, and right now, you know, to a certain extent, machines are being used these days to buy things online in certain categories. But it's, 
up until Nate, it was largely sort of only accessible to early adopters and, and nerds like me. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Nate, we're making those machines accessible to the entire world. So you can focus on what matters most, which is spending time with humans, uh, rather than clicking buttons or filling out forms. Uh, our fingers were not meant to do that. Let a machine do that. Do you foresee then, I think it's very interesting, do you foresee then that a machine is placing an order without me being aware of it, or at least it knows me so well that that machine will know, all right, okay, Rogier now needs this, so I can I, I can place that order right now? Do you see it go down that route? A real payments heavyweight? We're looking for a corporate development manager located in Hamburg, Germany to lead the strategic development for a fast-growing payments company. Relevant professional experience in the strategic management consultancy and passion for e-commerce and digitization would be fantastic. Get in touch with Jacqueline Milhausen at Jacqueline, J-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I-N-E at teampcn.com. Email in the description below. So that is a territory that scares me. So the answer is yes, but I'm hoping it, the answer. So I think the answer is yes, but I think I'm, I'm hoping the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a couple of things that are happening and here's how I would like to see it play out. One, I have an f- industry friend who works at a large e-commerce company in China that told me that in certain categories, this company can predict what you're going to buy before 24, 48 hours before the before you actually buy it. And they start shipping the item 48 hours before the purchase, just so they can offer one day shipping because China is very large. And then halfway through, if it's not true, they start blasting you with ads. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then towards the end, if you really, really don't buy it, then they stop it at the last mile. And that is still cheaper than not uh, offering that service. I am very scared about that world. I, it's not a futuristic dystopian sci-fi movie. This is happening right now. And I do not want that to happen in the West. Um, so I want to live in a world where humans retain control of their decisions. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing if we don't intervene now is it's going to be the opposite. Imagine going to a restaurant where you sit down and the server tells you, you are going to eat chicken today. Please go to the kitchen and cook it. You'd be like, what? I want to eat salmon today. You go to the kitchen and cook it, right? That is what's happening to e-commerce. There's all these algorithms that know so much about us and they hyper-target all these things. And they basically convince us that we want to buy that. And then we are left with like, you know, doing this weird motion with our thumbs, to actually place the order. So we are the machine, you know, who's the machine and who's the decision maker here? Um, And so I wanna be very careful there. And so I don't know how to solve the larger problem. I'm solving the, at least the execution bit. I'm telling humans, hey, like delegate the execution to machines, spend time doing human things. And hopefully I'm hoping that humans will then be intentional and decide um, I wanna retain control of these decisions. Now. It's also not binary, right? There could be a gray area. You could say, look, um, for these type of categories, like household goods, like cleaning supplies or things that I need for the house, like, and up to a certain budget, if you 
if you machine feel that I haven't bought it in a while and I'm probably going to need it and it's under this amount of dollars, fine, go ahead and just buy it for me. But, but that's a tricky, I'll be okay with it, but it's a tricky, tricky path because, you know, I don't want to live in a matrix. Oh, I totally, I think your example from China is uh, rather scary. And I, I would not want to live in a world where that's actually happening. Definitely not uh, in the West, uh, at least. But in yep. terms of the, I must say that someone, if you, if you go to any e-commerce, not to any, but to the largest e-commerce fashion store these days, there's so much to choose from. So having these type of recommendations based on what I've uh, bought in the past, for someone like me, can actually come in very handy. So Mm-hmm. of the chicken and the salmon in the restaurant um yes. someone, sometimes i need someone to tell me you have this blue yeah sweat. why don't you buy it? i hear you and that is the tricky part because there's no you know it could always get a little better it could always get a little better and so yeah. that path is very tricky i agree with you it's helpful i have a way of thinking about it though that i think could solve it you could to the extent that you are the one who owns your data you could lend it to a recommendation engine temporarily and sign in with your shopping profile and say, hey, here's my shopping history. I'm going to lend it to you for 10 minutes or for however long. But you still own it. You could also use it to train your Netflix uh, recommendations algorithm or your YouTube, whatever, you know, Apple TV, you, you name it, right? It doesn't have to be a Amazon search uh, or Google search or any other search. Um, but it's, I think we can get the best of both worlds, maybe, but it is mandatory that consumers retain ownership of their data. That's very interesting. Do you see that lending of data then? Do you think that's a, because it's, it's almost a revolution, right? If you look at where the world is today in terms of sharing data and consumers willing to share their data, because also that has gone, at least the way I look at it, it's gone so gradually that now it's just normal to share your data or you don't even know if you shared your data, yes or no. I mean, any app, I can't tell you from all my apps on my phone whether or not I shared my data to which extent. Um, such a revolution, do you feel that is it driven by more the regulatory sides? Do you feel it's driven by consumers? Do you feel it's driven by companies? Is it a combination of those? Do you have any thoughts about that? Yes, I think it's a um, self-reinforcing um, wheel here. Um, so you have um, some companies that realize that they have the global footprint and power to take some serious stance without bottom bottom line impact. Apple is one of those and are taking some serious steps before the regulator or the consumer requests them. And that does a couple of things. One, the regulator goes, oh, interesting. Should have thought about that. The consumer goes, I never knew I wanted this yeah. and now I do. And then, you know, it starts, you know, and so I think the European union um, is taking some good steps in consumer protection laws, nowhere near enough. Uh, in fact, almost like in a, probably not implemented in the correct way. Um, the state of California is taking some good steps. There are some federal agencies in the U S um, this new case uh, on Facebook is interesting because while it's technically not about privacy itself, privacy is a strong component of it because what 
the regulator is basically saying is if you don't charge for your product, then your users are not your customers. And they should be aware of that. They should be aware that they are the product. And that combined with the fact that the more users you have, the bigger the barrier to entry or the bigger the moat, that those two things combined are no good. So they're not saying you're not allowed to sell people's data. They're saying if that is your product, you can't have, you can't leverage these um, these network effects and these modes. And so, you know, and it's a conversation. And then some of those things are congressional hearings and consumers hear about them. And then Netflix comes up with a documentary and then more people hear about it. And I can tell you that I see a big generational shift already. I mean, I sometimes sit down and answer customer service chats, people who have problems with Nate and I have conversations with them. And I see a big generational shift. This new generation is hyper aware of this and it gives me hope. Yeah, especially that data part, like you said, right? And it sounds like that's really at, at the core of Nate uh, in yes. and of itself and one of the reasons for, uh, for using it. Um, great, very interesting. I think we could probably talk for hours about this, but let's go back to Nate, yes. <laughs> your company. Um, what's next? I mean, you guys are flying by the sounds of it. I think you uh, raised 38 million last June in your Series A. Um, you're now, it sounds like, live in the US. I'm sure that there's listeners listening to this and thinking, okay, when can I use Nate in Europe or in Asia or wherever they are? What are the plans yes. for that kind of expansion now? Um, so it's, it's tricky because the US market is so big um, and we only have 100 people. So um, if you want Nate to come to you, help me hire a ton of people. Uh, you know, we are, we just broke, we, a year ago today, we were 25 people. We're now a hundred. Now, a year from now, I would want to tell you we are 200 or 250. Um, and, and so we're hiring aggressively. Um, and let's see where that takes us for now. We have to focus our resources in the U S which is a big market. And, but I am hoping that, this time next year, we can talk again and you can have the app on your phone uh, from Amsterdam or anywhere else you are in the world. That would be amazing. I'll, uh, I'll make a note of that to uh, speak again in a year from now uh, and see Let's where you're it. at in, uh, in that regard. Um, great, Alvin. It's been great to, uh, to have you on the show and, and get your insight, not just in Nate, but I think in general where you see the future of payments and shopping uh, go to. If people want to follow the Nate story if people want to find more about uh, you where should they go um so Nate is on social media at Nate underscore app uh or TikTok specifically is at Nate which I'm quite proud of um and uh otherwise just if you're in the U.S. and you have a, an iPhone go to the app store search Nate uh say hi we're super friendly on chat um and if you want to follow me I'm not on Facebook products uh, not surprisingly, but you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Albert Seniger. Great. Cool, Nate. Uh, cool, Albert. Uh, again, thanks for, uh, for being on the show and thanks everyone for listening and tuning in to uh, another episode of uh, InCheck with FinTech. Uh, this week, we had Albert from Nate on the show uh, and uh, until next time. Thank you for checking in with FinTech. If you enjoyed this week's episode, subscribe, like, and leave us a comment below. We'll be having more industry leaders next week. Tune in next week for more.
Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Free Your Girl, who are dedicated to finding child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Eveline, CEO and founder of Free Your Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family, and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom, and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.